Welcome to today's podcast from Coastline Calvary Chapel in Gulf Breeze, Florida. We hope this message encourages you and brings light into your life. Well, good morning. If you would, grab your Bibles and open up to the 11th chapter of Nehemiah. Nehemiah chapter 11 and 12 is where we find ourselves this morning. And this morning, I'll be reading and teaching from the New Living Translation. So, if you have a digital device, you should be able to access that fairly easily. But if you have an analog, don't worry. Because that which we will be reading from Scripture will be selective. Because there's over 70-something verses this morning. But do not worry. We will not be reading all of those in our time gathered together today. Nehemiah chapter 11. If you're there, would you let me know by indicating with a phrase? I think it's a phrase. Jesus rebuilds and restores. Are you there? Okay, good. Today and next Sunday will be the last time you're ever going to hear that phrase. No, hopefully it won't. Hopefully it'll be this thing that, that you've owned. And here's, let me just say this before we jump into the text. The purpose for this phrase is to be respectful and mindful of who that book is really about. The book of Nehemiah, in fact, if I can have your attention, if I may see your eyes, every book of the Bible is about Jesus. Every book is a part of a meta-narrative. Yes, it has a narrative. Yes, it has a point. Yes, there's specifics. However, it is a part of the grander story to point to this reality that Jesus and Jesus alone is God, that Jesus and Jesus alone is the one who satisfies your soul. But specifically, what we see in Nehemiah is that it's not Nehemiah who's the leader that we want to be like. It's Jesus. Jesus is the one who rebuilds and restores. So as you're in Nehemiah 11 and 12, I'm just going to entitle our brief time together this morning this way. It helps me remember chapter 11 and 12. Maybe it'll help you. Maybe not. But that's okay. We can live, we can laugh because he loves. If we were to entitle chapter 11 and 12 in the year 2021 with all that's going on, I would say, for me today, I would see in Nehemiah 11 and 12 that I can live, I can laugh, because he loves. Say, you know, you remember those uh, wall stickers, coasters, wood frames, Instagram posts that would say, live, laugh, love? Anyone ever seen that? Well, I have a liking for L's, so I thought, well, I like that. But this is the thing. It's not just a positive way to live, right? You know, like, remember to live your life. And it's not just to, you know, have an idiom to remember not to take yourself too seriously. You know, laugh. Nor is it just an idea to love well. It's not bad stuff, those things, but the why always gives the drive. If there is no why... There is no value, then the what becomes mundane. 
One of the guys that mentored me said this, Neil, if you ever have kids, this before I had kids, he said, you want to make them wise? I said, I'd like to help. I don't know if I can make them wise, but I'd love to offer the opportunity. Then here's what you do. You tell them the whys behind the whys. You tell them the whys behind the whys. The W-H-Y apostrophe S. Why behind the what? Helps those live skillfully. Live with wisdom. The gospel is the only reason, is the only place that gives me the ability to live well, to laugh genuinely, because I know that I'm loved. Let me explain. The book of Nehemiah, God gives Nehemiah a vision. And every time there's vision, there's challenge. God gives Nehemiah a plan, but with plans always come problems. God gives Nehemiah an opportunity, and with every opportunity, there will be obstacles. And here's the challenge before you. God's given you opportunity. He's given you a vision. He's given you a purpose. But with every purpose comes a problem. With every vision comes a challenge. With every opportunity comes an obstacle. And that is the equation for the will of God. However, most of us see opportunity, vision, and dream, and purpose and go, but wait, when there's problem, God must not be in it. I don't have peace. Have you ever been told that by a believer? I just don't have peace about that. Hmm. Interesting. Peace. The challenge with peace being the determinative factor solely of the will of God is that it can be at times an emotion. The will of God through the word of God and the safety of the community of God is a much greater determinant for the will of God than just your peace. Because peace could be replaced with, well, my heart. The heart is deceitful above all things. Don't allow that to be your determinative factor for the will of God. Allow it to be his word. But opportunity plus obstacle equals the will of God. Struggle is not your enemy. Struggle is your friend. For in struggle you develop strength and life and health and vitality. Not without it. Not without it. And in Nehemiah, there is struggle. There is obstacle. There is challenge. There are problems. But in Nehemiah chapter 8, this season that we've been in since Easter, we see this amazing thing. In Nehemiah chapter 8, there's a revival. The word of God is opened, and for six hours, the people are standing to hear the word of God read. In Nehemiah chapter 9, there's a bit of remorse. The people see God's plan, and they see their lives, and the, 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 the feasting of Nehemiah 8 turns to fasting. And then Nehemiah chapter 10, where we just were last week with Pastor Danny. How many were here for Pastor Danny? Wasn't that a great message? So good. In, in chapter 8, there was revival. Chapter 9, there's remorse. Chapter 10, there's a recommitment. And many of you took those three-by-five cards and made a commitment. You know, and like Danny said, life with the Lord is a series of commitments and recommitments, and that's true, right? Like every day you make a recommitment to get dressed, thank the Lord, 
right? A recommitment to deodorant, a recommitment to toothpaste. And we're thankful for that. I'm thinking, I, need, I mean, we all need to make that commitment every day. Chapters 11 and 12, here's what we would see today. Chapter 11 is about the repopulation of the city. They needed to live there. And then chapter 12 is about the rededication of the wall. Rededication needs to be done with joy, laughter. So this morning, my hope is that we can see that we can live, we can laugh. Why? Because we're loved so well. Let me read to you out of the first four verses of Nehemiah chapter 11, and then I'll pray, and we'll begin to navigate these two chapters together this morning. Nehemiah chapter 11, starting in verse 1. If you're there, let me know by saying, Jesus rebuilds and restores. Okay, back row with Matt Morton. You guys there? You good? Okay, Matt says we're good. You just never know about that back row, you know. No, just teasing. Verse 1. The leaders of the people, remember that right there. That's very important. The leaders of the people were living in Jerusalem. Interesting. You mean they weren't in the high rises or the suburbs? They were where the fight was. The leaders of the people were living in Jerusalem, the holy city. A tenth of the people from the other towns of Judah and Benjamin were chosen by sacred lots to live there. They took a lottery while the rest of them stayed where they were. And the people commended everyone who volunteered to resettle in Jerusalem. Good for you, choosing to do that. And here is a list of the names of the provincial or provincial officials who came to live in Jerusalem. Most of the people, priests, Levites, temple servants, and descendants of Solomon's servants continued to live in their own homes in the various towns of Judah, but some, some of the people from Judah and Benjamin resettled in Jerusalem. Lord, I ask and pray in these next few minutes that we have that you would give me the ability to serve your people well by just explaining the text, but more importantly, allowing the text to expose to us Jesus. I pray you would do that. I pray for each person in this room and every room connected to us online. Lord, that you'd quiet distraction and that the good seed of your word would find good soil in our hearts. Lord, we love you. We pray that in the only name that matters, the name of Jesus. Amen. When the people of God were conquered by surrounding enemies, Jerusalem was deserted for over 70 years. God used gentlemen by the name of Zerubbabel and Ezra to lead people back and to rebuild the temple. Nehemiah, God used to rebuild the walls. And this is a question. By definition, a city has something in it. It rhymes with steeple or weeple. It starts with a P. What's in a city? People. People are in a city. Not this city. That's what's going on. Jerusalem has the temple. It has the walls, but nobody wants to go in. It's dangerous. They'll lose social status. It's hard. There's obstacles. There's struggle. There's no hot tubs, you know, like, they don't want to live there. One author said, Nehemiah wasn't called to rebuild the walls so that some conquering army could come and break them back down. 
The people needed to live there. So verse 1 tells us that the leaders were there. Oh, I love that. You know, there was a season in the life of the church, not our church, but the church globally, 10, 15 years ago, where there was this stream of thought that, does the church really need leaders? Like, can't we just kind of all have a, a certain philosophy and kind of a commitment to the way of Jesus and allow giftings to lead us? And as God uses that person and as God uses that person, we'll just kind of follow. I have a friend out west who was teaching on this, and he said, you know what I find interesting about the New Testament is, is Paul never wrote, now tell me what kind of church you are. Are you a church with leaders or with no leaders? Because I need to know how to address you. No, he just wrote, to the leaders, write thus and so. <sighs> leaders are a gift from God. Good leaders, they are. And here's the dynamic. The leaders were there. The rest of the people, they submitted themselves to a lottery system. One out of 10 were selected. So 10% of the people would live in Jerusalem. And those that are smarter than me, and there are many of those, say that this only represents about 5,000 people, which is not a lot of people. Verse 2 tells us that there were volunteers. Verse 3 and 4 says that there's certain categories of people who lived in Jerusalem and the surrounding villages. And then here, let me have your attention. Verse 11 I'm sorry, no, verse 4 of chapter 11, all the way through chapter 12, verse 26, if you just begin to peruse those, it's a lot of names. And each name is important. And if you'd like to hear each name read to you, I would highly encourage you to download the app called Dwell, D-W-E-L-L, -L, one of the best, in my opinion, Bible audio apps out there. You can get it with like different dialects. Like there's this guy named Felix that reads the Bible with this South African like, you know, vibe. And you can get like ambient music or, you know, country if you like that. And like, you can just have the Psalms read to you or the book of Nehemiah. It's such a great thing to have the word of God read to you. Well, we're not going to do that today. You can do that with dwell. Like all those names, if you want to read those, but here, let me give you the 10,000 feet of what Nehemiah shows us here. Verses 4 through 9 of chapter 11, we see Judah and Benjamin's descendants. Verses 10 through 18 and 20 and 21, the lists of the priests and the Levites. 22 and 23, the singers. Verse 24, the king. He had representatives that were going to stay in the city. And then in chapter, well, verse 25 through 36, we see a list of all the surrounding villages. Chapter 12, verses 1 and 11, we see the priests and the Levites who went with Zerubbabel. And I love that because they have kind of like an emeritus mindset. Like they, just, they don't just forget those that went before them, but they, they don't live in the past, but they honor it. I love that. Verses 12 through 21, they talk about the priests in the days of Jehoiakim. And then chapter 12, verses 22 through 26, the Levites in the days of Darius, the king. Those are all those names organized in different sections that Nehemiah gives honor to. This is like an honor roll in chapter 11 and 12 of the men and women and children that they represent of who God used. Now, as we consider all these names, here's some of the takeaways that I want to share with you this morning from this section. The first one is this. We need to live where we live. 
Say, what do you mean by that? The city needed to be inhabited or it would be destroyed again. Listen, Jesus did not save us so that he could leave us to figure out life. Jesus did not come to give you a get-out-of-hell card and then say, I hope you can figure out the rest of Monopoly, right? That's not what he did. Jesus saves us to change us and by his Spirit to lead us forward, to lead you forward, to be on a journey. See, he's given you a life and the walls of your heart, the walls of your mind, the walls of your soul can be rebuilt. But here's the thing. There's distractions, right? Cell phones, babies, people walking around. Like, there's distractions in life. It's so easy to think, well, I'll go for salary now. I mean, I, I'm saved, but i got to make that money. Or I'll go for status. Or I'll go for situation. Say, what do you mean by situation? Everyone's living for some sort of situation. And that's not necessarily wrong. Like, you guys, you can't wait for the three-week situation to be over. You're going to have a baby. I know what that's like. We're all about that. Like, some of us are living for a situation, well, when this just gets paid off, or when termite season swarming is over, like, that's the situation I'm living for. Or like, whatever the situation, we think, oh, the dust will settle, and then I'll serve Jesus. And then you realize, it's summertime, it's boating time, now, oh, no, oh, and that's over, now it's hunting time, oh, now it's Christmas time, like, it never stops. But if you live for salary, or status, or situation, you're missing it. You're missing it. We're called to live for the Spirit, by the Spirit, through situations, through having a healthy status or salary. Nothing wrong with that, but it does not become the master passion of my life. The Spirit does. See, He has given you a life, and here's what I feel like I need to ask you. Are you fully alive in Jesus? Why not? What, what's the situation here? You've been revived, chapter 8. Yes, you recognize the, the challenge of sin, chapter 9. You, you made that stand for Lord Jesus, your Savior and Lord, chapter 10. Chapter 11, it's time to repopulate. It's time to live. It's time to go forward in your journey with Jesus. David Guzik, I, anyone ever heard of David Guzik? We call him the Guzinator, the Sermonator. Great guy. He has a wonderful free commentary on something called the Blue Letter Bible app. You should check that out. Good stuff. But listen to what he says. To live in Jerusalem, the city of God, the presence of God. To live in that physical city, though, you had to reorder your view of material things. You actually had to give up the land you previously owned and take up a whole new situation in Jerusalem. Don't you see the parallel as a Christian? He also says this, to live in Jerusalem, you had to rearrange your social priorities, leaving some friends and family behind in the old village. He also said to live in Jerusalem, you had to have a mind to endure problems in the city. I like what he says. He says the city had been rebuilt, but somewhat it was a repopulated ghost town. 
The city didn't look all that glorious, and it needed work. There was problems to be done. There was work to be done. There were challenges to be had. And listen, if you're a believer that's following the Lord, let me just share something to you like a secret of Christianity. The attacks of the enemy do not become less now that you're a Christian. They become more. Why is that? Because there are some names, I was told, that are known in hell. You say, what do you mean by that? There are some that say, I count my life forfeit. I'm living for the kingdom. And the enemy would go, oh no. (laughs) Salary, status, sex, substance, situation, sports stuff isn't doing it for this person. I'm going to have to bring pain, suffering, obstacle, problem. And if the person keeps going, oh no. (laughs) Because greater is he who is in you than he who is in the world. But the enemy will always try and present this false sense of authority in your life. But you must know, he is a pawn in the hand of our creator. But as a believer, if you say, well, being a Christian, where's the roses and rainbows? Wait till chapter 12. Let me show you what that is. But, but if you don't pay attention to chapter 11, you need to repopulate. the city. You need to live where God's called you. He's called you to a path of sanctification. Say, what is that church word? Where God, by his spirit, begins to change you from the inside out. Listen, where life starts to have meaning, where what you do has purpose, where every conversation is an opportunity for God to move, where you're fully alive. That's what God wants for you. But what's that going to mean? You're going to have to leave some material things. Some social things. You're going to have to have a mind to endure, Guzik says. But then he also says this. To live in Jerusalem, you had to know that you were becoming a target for the enemy. There were strong walls in this day and time to protect you. But here's the thing. Jerusalem is now a notable city. They're like, oh my goodness, the walls are built. Robbers are attracted to that. Thieves. And the old village was nice but now it's in danger of being attacked. You are called and empowered by the Spirit of God to move forward. You are. And some of these things may sound to some of you like, wow, that's what it looks like to follow Jesus? You know this thing that's tiled that's behind me? Does anyone know what that is? It's a cross. Unless you were, anyone born before the year B.C.? No, none of you. So here's the deal. Those years, this was not a, uh, like, oh, I love the cross. Oh, that's something we should wear as jewelry. Let's write a song about it. Like, no. You know who died on the cross? Despicable people. It wasn't just an instrument of torture. It also was a social thing to say, he died on a cross. He's the worst of the worst. We don't talk about that. We would put that in a gathering where we focus around it? No. How many of us are going to like, okay, there's the gas chamber. There's the electric chair. That's what that is. An instrument of death for the worst people. And Jesus said this, if you want to be my disciple, take up your cross daily. There's so much in that phrase. We say, okay, well, I guess I'm not. Man, I guess I'm not. Best thing since sliced bread. That's what my mama told me. I mean, I thought I was the prince. Now I learn, like, I'm supposed to take up my cross daily? That must mean I'm a sinner. Yes, recognize that. 
and die. Die to yourself. See, here's the deal. Take your Bibles and turn to Romans chapter 12, verse 1. Keep your finger in Nehemiah chapter 10 and 11 and 12. We'll be there momentarily. But Romans chapter 12, I, I'm a how-to guy. Like, all this stuff sounds great, but it's like, if I don't know how to do it, I'm probably not going to do it. That's just kind of where I'm at. I need handles. Like, how do, I, how do I do this? You're talking about living where I live. You're talking about the cost of it. But how do I do that? If you want to live, you must die. If you want to gain, you must lose. If you want to win, you must forfeit. That's how it begins. Romans chapter 12, verses 1 and 2, coming from the New Living Translation, says this. And so, dear brothers and sisters, I plead with you. He doesn't just say, if this fits within your latte schedule. But he says, I plead with you. Give your bodies to God because of what he's done for you. You mean my physical body? That's what he says, bodies, heart, head, soul, mind, fingers, toes, whatever. Give it to God, all of you, all of you. Let them be a holy living sacrifice. That's the kind he finds acceptable. This is truly the way we are to worship. Did you hear that phrase? Worship. This is not worship. This is a musical instrument. It's a vehicle for us to worship through something called singing, but this by definition is not worship. Everything you do shows what you ascribe worth to. That's worship. And what you do most is work. Work is meant to be worship, not the definition of your worth. Work is meant to be the platform where you actually live integrously, honorably, do everything indecently in order, creatively, passionately. That's how you show worship to God. It's one of the primary vehicles of worship in your life. It's how you treat people in the workplace. How honorable you are with a bid. How integrous you are with accounting for things. That's where you worship. Yes, here we sing to God one small element of worship, but lifestyle is the primary. So he says here, this is truly the way we worship. All of me. Right, John Legend? All of me. Like, it's all there, right? Verse 2, don't copy the behavior and the customs of this world, but let God transform you into a new person by changing the way that you... Starts with a T, ends with a K. What does it say? You mean Christians are supposed to be thinkers? I thought we checked our brain at the door and everything was just by faith. We do not have faith in faith. That's called fideism. We have faith in God. The agent of your faith is that which gives it greatness, not the, the act. God can take like a little bit of faith, like a mustard seed, and do so much if it's in him. It's not the measure of your faith, but it's the measure of the faithful one and who you're putting your faith is where you have power. That's where it is. This is what he says. You, you've got to let go of the behaviors of the world. Let God transform you by the way that you think. Please listen to this. Into a new person. And you will learn to know God's will. And listen to how he describes God's will. It's in this last phrase. God's will, which is good, it's pleasing, and it's perfect. Next time someone asks you how you're doing, you should say, good, good. Pleasing is perfect. 
Why? Because I'm living God's will. And this is what it feels like. This is what it, this is, what it is. Like what I'm doing is good. It's pleasing. It's perfect. Maybe you say, man, I, I can't say that. Make sure you can define those terms first and foremost. What is good? What is pleasing? What is perfect? But then also I would say, then maybe you're not really offering your body. Maybe you're not transforming your life through the way that you think. Maybe you're not letting go of behaviors. Those things have to happen. Or else you won't experience the good, the pleasing, the perfect. But you can. You can. Let me, let me have your eyes. Let me, let me have your attention. This has nothing to do with your IQ. It has everything to do with your EQ. Will you take your life and say, Lord, where you're saying, that's where I want to be. You're saying to give you all, here I am. You're saying to let go of that which is a weight, not a wing, okay. You're saying to let my mind be transformed, get daily in the word devotionals. These two-minute videos and this Bible reading plan, that's why it's there, to help jumpstart you in a devotional life. I'm trying to tell you this. You can do this. You must do it. Because there's 23,000 plus people in Midway and Gulf Breeze in this area. And not all 23,000 are gathering right now to love God. This community needs you in your workplace, where you recreate, where you shop, where you eat, to be real. Because people identify not with someone who's always right, but someone who's always real. And you can do that. You can do that. That's how you live. That's how you live. But look at Romans 13, verse 11 through 14. It gets even more practical. Verse 13, or chapter 13, 11 through 14 from the book of Romans. You know, how do you live this thing out? Look at what he says. This is all the more urgent, for you know the hour is late, time is running out. Wake up, for our salvation is nearer now more than we first believed. The night is almost far gone. The day of salvation will soon be here. So what does he say? So worry about it. Keep watching the news. Fret. Try to go back and fix everything. Or remove your dark deeds like dirty clothes and put on the shining armor of light or right living. Because we belong to the day we must live decent lives for all to see. Don't participate in darkness, wild parties of drunkenness or in sexual promiscuity and immoral living or in quarreling and jealousy. Instead, Clothe yourselves with the presence of the Lord Jesus Christ and don't let yourself think about the ways to indulge your evil desires. I don't know how much more practical this gets. It's about moving forward. You know, life is like, life is like living on a people mover. Say, what do you mean by that? Well, if you stand still on a people mover, let me show you this video and then I'll explain it. Let's, let's watch this video real quick. Okay, so that little video, I think, is descriptive of the way you live your life with Jesus. Now, don't take it too far. It's just an illustration. But if you say, Jesus, I'm saved. I'm just going to hang with you. 
You're going backwards. If you say, Jesus, I'm saved, let me just show up to church, man. I'll be there once a month. That's good news, right? Like, I'll just kind of give a little bit if it's convenient to me. I'll sing if the songs are good. Maybe if there's a group that has, like, really good steak, I'll be there in midweek. Hey, I'm. So you're walking. What are you doing? You're not growing. I don't even know if you could call what you're doing is the bare minimum. But you're just standing still. You're basically in a rut. So how do you move forward? Romans 13, 11 through 14. Romans 12, verse 1 and 2. I'm all in. I'm all in. That's how you begin to move forward and live. Life's like a people mover. Stand still, you're going backwards. Do the bare minimum, you're doing nothing. Obey the Bible. Ah, now you're living. Now you're living. But it will cost you. So just like Jesus said, don't be like that guy that builds the house and didn't draw blueprints or look at a budget. You go, oh my goodness, I mean, it's going to cost me this. Well, I guess we're not opening the restaurant, you know, or whatever. Like, don't take that illustration too far. But, um, you know, like, guess it's not working out. Don't be like that guy. Count the cost. There will be an enemy. There's going to be problems to endure. It may cost me something socially. It may cost me something materially. But I don't care. I want to live. I want to live. Because to borrow William Wallace's mindset, you know this, right? Every man dies. Not everyone really lives. And that's so true. So many people die around the age of 18, but wait to be buried until their 80s and 90s. They're like drones through life. They're just trying to keep up with some family called the Joneses, even though she may have great coffee, you know, like, um, or they're just status or salary or something. And I'm just here to tell you, that's not why God gave his son. You can have blood-bought intimacy. Why do you exchange it for cold, dead religion? I don't understand. It doesn't make sense to me. It doesn't make sense to me. Salary doesn't do it for you. Status, sport, stuff. These are good things, but don't make them God things. When you take a good thing and make it a God thing, it, ro it robs you of the good for that which it was intended. Live for Jesus. It's the only way to move forward. Only way. Now, that was the first point. You go, oh my goodness, we've got another whole chapter. Don't worry. Next points are so simple. Here's the second one. The first point is live where you live. Second point is this. Verse 1. The leaders were there. Let me say that again. The leaders were there. I don't know that I have to say much more about that. Dad, you're a leader. By definition of being dad, are you there? Those that run businesses, do you call people to do things that you would never do or do you lead by example? The leaders were there. Again, people, children, whatever, will follow someone who's always real rather than someone who's always right. You can do this. You can do this. And you are a leader. You say, what do you mean? God gave you stewardship over you first and foremost. How's your physical health? 
How's your spiritual health? How's your emotional health? How's your relational health? How's your mental health? Are you leading that well? You say, well, no. Then why would God ever ask you to lead anything else if you first can't steward that which he's already given you? Steward yourself well. And then maybe Matthew 25 will be a part of your life. Steward yourself well. You can do this by the power of God's Spirit. Point number three, I believe God is constantly moving us from being a part of the family of God to being a partner in the family of God. Moving us from being a part, man, I'm saved, to being a partner. To being a part, to being a partner. If you look at chapters 11 and 12, there are nine groupings of people. God gifts and equips us all differently, but he gifts us to work together. Can I say that again? He he gifts us to work together. Let me say that one more time. He gifts us to work together for God's glory, our good, and the good of the world. That's why you have a gift. That's why you have a talent. That's why you have an ability. We is greater than me. God wants us to use what he's given us for his glory. But here's something I've found. I think this is true. Even a thoroughbred needs a trainer. Say, what do you mean by that? You know, on Saturday, we're going to do this thing from 10 to 12. Let's see if we can put that up on the screen. On Saturday, we're going to have a family event at a local surf shop that my family's connected to. But why? Well, I'll tell you why. I wrote it down. Our little community of Gulf Breeze could benefit from a simple but tasty local coffee shop with a venue for art, music, culinary treats, literature, and meaningful conversations. And I'm sure there's more. Our little community could benefit from a strategic platform to train students how to interview for a job, how to work and work well and hard, how to receive a constructive performance review, how to serve people well, and how to transition from one job to another with grace and respect. You're not born knowing how to do these things. You have to be trained. And you can be trained like organically, figure it out, and 40 years later, like, oh, finally, you're a good employee. Or you can like be trained strategically. Our little community could benefit from a strategic platform to train students and adults in the knowledge and application in the full canon of Scripture. That's what I think. So what should we do? We should have something where students hone occupational performance. S-H-O-P. Students honing occupational performance. The shop. The shop is a discipleship and outreach ministry of Coastline Gulf Breeze that seeks to train students in a two-year discipleship program. The shop is designed to serve our local community with coffee, a fun venue, gatherings, but at its heartbeat, an opportunity to train students and adults to develop the life skill of faithfulness. This is a skill you develop. And learn to embrace that work is their worship, not the measure of their worth. You don't wake up from the womb knowing this. You have to be trained. 
the shop may be branded by the name of the area in which it is located to reinforce the value of localization. And students will have the opportunity to embrace work as worship, embrace a lifestyle of learning and living, and develop in the life skill of faithfulness. The dream. This is the last thing I'll say about it. Develop a space and structure to train men and women how to think biblically and work effectively and send them into their world so that one day the entire marketplace of Gulf Breeze can daily exude God's glory through thoughtful, hardworking disciples of Jesus. The church gathered and the church scattered. The church gathered and grouped and then going to live on mission right where you are through the platform of work will change an entire city. Not tomorrow, not 10 years from now, but 30, maybe, maybe. By 30 years, you could see Gulf Breeze in every ice cream shop, automotive shop, coffee shop, church, wherever they are. Why do these people think well and work well? Because they've read their Bible, and they're reading their Bible, and they embrace and live the value of faithfulness. Can I say this? This event on Saturday is a step in that direction. We're Lord willing, one day, maybe, we'll see what the Lord does. What do I know? I barely know. I may not even make it through this service. You know, you never know. But maybe there could be a space where students could be trained where we could benefit from another thing in the community other than, you know, the coffee that's available, but that's not the main reason. But a venue to see disciples made. So at 10 to 12 on Saturday, we plan to have this small gathering. At 10.30, we will have a brief time of prayer for this initiative, for this vision, for this dream. If you would like to come, come. There'll be free donuts from the Breeze Donuts. I think that's a good thing. There'll be a Loha bouncer. There'll be live music from one of our uh, worship leaders here, Nicole. Um, some of the, the businesses in the community are giving away gift cards. Okay, well, thank you. Um, but it's really just to kind of show and share. Listen, if Nehemiah 11 and 12 showed how so many people were organized, structured, decently and in order to work together, there's training and element, we can do that too. We can do that too. And this is one way to do that. One way. Now, remember when I told you about 80 minutes ago that we would look at Nehemiah 11 and 12? Remember that? And that Nehemiah 11, we'd learn to live. And in Nehemiah chapter 12, we'd learn to laugh. Well, let's wrap this up. We just have a few more minutes. And you may say, well, Nehemiah chapter 12, let's turn back there real quick, has got quite a bit of text in there. Here's what I would say. 1 through 26 of Nehemiah chapter 12 is a listing of those individuals whom God uses. Verses 27 through 47, you see this large gathering of Levites and priests and large bands and choirs and all the details of the gathering. And it's amazing. Let me just read to you out of chapter 12, starting in verse 27. I won't read till the end of the chapter but I need to highlight one point before we dismiss. 
Nehemiah chapter 12, starting in verse 27. If you're still awake, let me know by saying Jesus rebuilds and restores. Verse 27 from the New Living Translation. The, new dedica- the dedication of the new wall of Jerusalem, the, Le- the Levites throughout the land were asked to come to Jerusalem and assist in the ceremonies. They were to take part, look, listen to what it says, in the joyous occasion with their songs of thanksgiving, with the music of cymbals and of harps and of lyres. And that's not talking about politicians. That's just like a certain instrument right there. That's a, then we don't have that instrument, but that's what they had. The singers were brought together from the region. They also came from Beth Gilgal, verse 29, the priests and the Levites. And you hear on and on and on and on about different people. And look at verse 43, the tail end of it, where it says, the women and the children also participated in the celebration and the joy of the people of Jerusalem could be heard far and away. Here's what I find interesting as we close out chapter 12. Singing is mentioned eight times in this chapter. Thanksgiving, six. Rejoicing, seven. And musical instruments, three times. Verses 24, 27, 31, 38, and 46, they're thankful. Verses 27 and some others, they're joyful. Verse 42 and 43, they're loud. They're loud. Verse 27 and 35 and 36, they've got instruments. Warren Wearsby says this, It was not a time for muted meditative worship. It was a time for pulling out all the stops and praising the Lord enthusiastically. Did you notice the tone of this morning's set? It was loud. It was enthusiastic. Yes, because that's biblical. Is there a time for muted meditative worship? Absolutely, most definitely. I'm not saying that. We do that. But there's also a time where you sing, where you celebrate. And this is what I would say to that. You can do that on Monday with your attitude, Tuesday with your tone, Wednesday with the way your your face looks. You know, you can put a smile on. Thursday, I won't give an alliteration if you're like, this guy, man. Like Thursday, your whole aura could be that of thanksgiving and joy. Why? There's a friend of mine. Um, Her name is Kate, and she has this book. And it's called, And Still She Laughs, Defiant Joy in the Depths of Suffering. Listen to what Kate says. I thought this was good. Choosing to live for eternity is such a game changer. It holds much meaning for the future, yes, but for the here and now, it brings with it the ability to laugh. Setting aside the fear of future sets us free, and in it we realize we never had control in the first place. Perspective carries us through life laughing. Comparison evokes cursing and frowns and grumbling. The joy of the Lord is our strength. Kate wrote this book in the dynamic of losing her daughter to cancer. And she came across this phrase in the Old Testament about the woman of God that she still laughs. That there's still joy after sorrow that the sun still rises. And this is what I would say. Why can you laugh? Why can you have joy? Have you read the news? 
Have you walked outside? Everything this side of heaven is broken. Everything. Any leader that you think, well, maybe we could follow him, just dig deeper. No, you can't. He's broken. She's broken. Well, maybe this system will work. No, it won't. Maybe the bridge, okay, we won't go that far, but you know what I'm saying? But like you can have that kind of mentality. And there's people in your life that are slipping into that all the time. And you say, man, you're a Debbie Downer. Remember that SNL? Like, like man. And they would just tell you, well, I'm just a realist. Let me tell you something that's more real. You know what's more real? Jesus is seated upon the throne of heaven. What's more real is that all authority in heaven and earth has been given to him. Is it true that things are broken? And yes, things may be not working out always. Yes. What are you, new? Like, this is the way life is. So what does that mean, though? That we just walk around? Well, I'm sure it'll cost more than we think. I'm sure it'll be harder than we thought. You never know. Come on, Eeyore. Be biblical. There can be laughter. There can be joy. And listen, if you process every potential step in your life through the lens of finance, you'll never do anything. But if you process it through the lens of faith, ah, there you go. That's how you're to look forward. You're to look back with thanksgiving and forward in faith. Does that mean that you're irresponsible? No. But let me just tell you something. In life, there's dreamers and drainers, and they're everywhere. And the drainer will always say, yeah, but, oh, I think, oh, this is why. And I would say to you, learn to laugh. Learn to recognize who your God is. He's the God who owns everything. He's the God, either through miracle or medicine, can bring healing if he should so choose. And if he doesn't, then just job that thing. God gives and he takes away. What does God owe you? Nothing. God doesn't owe you anything. But he gave you everything through his son Jesus. May we commit to kill the entitlement that we feel as Americans towards God. God doesn't owe you anything. But he gave you everything. So let the joy be not in what you have, but in who you belong to. And as Christians, here's the thing that's going to radically change the Gulf Coast. Joyful people. People that would say, we're going to sing loudly. Authors that would write things that lose their precious little girl to death and say, well, I'm just that many days closer to her every day that she's gone. Perspective. Perspective must be aligned by that which is true. If this is not true, then forget it, man. Go live your life. But I challenge you. I challenge you. Do your own research. Don't give us pithy sayings. If you think this is false, prove it. Go for it. You will find that what the faith of Jesus really is is a reasonable faith. It is faith. But so is Highway 98. So is this ceiling that it's not going to fall. Oh, and there's thousands of things to worry about. And don't be paralyzed by the, the things that you analyze. Trust the Lord. You see, that's where God moves. That's where you live. That's where you laugh. Why? Because I trust his love. Remember that thing that we gave out on Mother's Day? Romans 8, 28. 
to be firmly, what is it? Flexible, to trust. Why? Because God is working all things. Trust him. This is where God wants you. Trust. Simple trust. Simple trust. And trust is evidenced where? It's this old song. You can remember it this way. Trust and obey. For there is no other way to be happy in Jesus than to trust and obey. If you don't obey, you don't trust. See, Christianity is not all that mystical. It's pretty, pretty practical. And I'm just telling you, you can live, you can laugh because he loves, or you can lose. And I just don't want that for you. Life's going by so fast. Soon it will be over. What did you do with it? You will stand before Jesus, and there will be two questions if you're part of the Bema seat, in my opinion. What did you do with my son? And what did you do with the things I gave you stewardship of? I gave you the same 24 hours I gave everyone else. You're not too busy. What did you do? And I want you to do well. I want you to say, Lord, you gave me the IQ of five, and I kept reading, and I got the IQ of 10. That's what I want to say. Like, Lord, I started with this, and I just kept stewarding it. And then this is what you did. And then he would say, well done, good and faithful servant. That's what you want. That's the race to run after. I want to be a servant. It's better to be a doorkeeper in the house of the Lord than to sit behind the Oval Office. That's a lot of problems there. Why would you want that job? I don't know. But you see what I'm saying? It's better to be a servant than to be a celebrity. It's better to be one who is humble than one who always has to be the center of attention. And you can do all those things. You can do all those things. We hope you enjoyed today's podcast. Join us again as we dive into the scripture, going verse by verse here at Coastline Calvary Chapel.